Okay, let's take our Bibles uh, this morning and let us turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 4 through 6 of Hebrews chapter 11, looking at the honor roll of faith. Now, as we move, as we move into these verses, I don't want you to forget It is because Jesus has opened up for us a new and living way to approach God by His one-time sacrifice on the cross that we can endure in this race that we are called to. It is by His death and what it has accomplished that we can press on and have a firm assurance of those eternal realities which are invisible to the outward eye. But by faith, we are able to look backward and see how faithful God has been and then in hope look forward and maintain a steadfast hope and faith in Him and in His promises. As we've already seen in Hebrews, He saves us to the uttermost and to the very end. And like the saints that have gone before us, who had a forward-looking faith and won the approval of God, let us follow their example and live by faith so as to gain the Lord's approval also in our daily walk, in our daily grind that we live in. In fact, when we get to Hebrews chapter 13, if you'd like to turn over there real quick, verses 20 and 21, we will see a most glorious thing, maybe the most glorious thing of all. And what is it? Well, in the new covenant in Christ through the Holy Spirit. that The Holy Spirit has not only put the law in our minds and hearts, He is ever working in us a disposition to favor it, a desire to keep it, And he gives us power to do so. Look at verse number 20 of Hebrews 13. Now the God of peace, who brought you up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing. Notice what he says. To do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever amen. In other words, he's talking about someone who has genuine, real conversion that God has put in their heart by the Spirit of God a desire to do God's will and please God. It's already there. In fact, if you remember the promise of the new covenant that I gave in chapters before chapter 11, that everyone in the new covenant will have a new heart. That's the promise. Jeremiah, I will give them a heart to know me. Secondly, everyone in the new covenant will have forgiveness of sins. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Meaning that when the sin is removed, the relationship with God is now intact. Right? And then everyone in the new covenant will have a permanent, the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God where he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my commandments. So that's what happens at real conversion when the Spirit of God is in you that you want to do God's will. Yes, you feel the weakness. You feel you're vulnerable. You feel that sometimes you are a complete failure. Yet, at the same time, God is working in you to do To will and to do is good pleasure. That's what he is doing. And then, of course, everyone in the New Covenant has the law in their heart. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. In other words, he says this for this reason, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That this last one in the New Covenant community of believers, that people would obey God not because they have to, God doesn't want you to believe Him or obey Him because you have to. We obey Him because we want to. Right? Because He has given us the power to obey Him. 
That is the uniqueness of being a Christian. So now we come to this passage on faith. And we've already gained somewhat of an understanding that the trials that God puts us through are proof that we are indeed sons of God when we come through them. And we bear them still wanting to serve God, still wanting to know, still wanting to have a relationship. And we know that in those trials they produce in us something that's firm, something that is steady, something that causes us to endure to the next step, till the end of the the race that God's called us to, and not to go back to the old ways that God saved us from, not to go back to the old systems, religious systems that God saved us from, not to go back to the old philosophies that God saved us from, but instead we are filled with hope to press on and finish what God started, what God set before us and go right to the end. So, so far, that this great chapter about faith, we have endeavored to wrestle down what the essence of biblical faith is. And I've already said that the essence of biblical faith is it is a faith that rests solely on the Word of God. It is a faith that relies entirely on the character of God. And it is a faith that recognizes God's power to bring to pass all He has promised. That is the essence of it. So then, I concluded that faith is the evidence of that which is not visible now, but which shall become visible by the power, by the powerful Word of God, as God moves through history And concludes his plan of redemption. So now we see before us this morning the examples of faith. In some ways the definition is inadequate. Alright, I want to see the proof. Let me see the people. Let me see your faith. By the way you live. By the way you speak. By what you do. By how you think. Let me see your faith. Let me see that you believe this, God. Let me see that something's different in your life. Let me see that. And so when we come to this passage of Scripture, we see that what it, we'll see what it means to have faith, to live by faith, and sometimes to die by faith, and then, of course, at the end to obtain life. And so the essence of biblical faith bleeds out from the examples given in chapter 11 of Hebrews. And we should take heed also, because it's the same kind of faith that is necessary for us to endure to the end. Same kind of faith. These are the same kind of people we are. If we pinch them, they would say, wait, ouch. If we cut them, they would bleed. Right? If we wound them with our words, they would feel hurt. Same stuff, same people, just different times. And so, that's where we're at right here. So who would you pick? If you were to pick an example of biblical faith, who would you pick? Would you pick Paul first, or Peter, or, or Joseph, or John the Baptist, or Moses, or maybe Job? Who would you pick? Well, where does the author of Hebrew start? That's the question. Well, he starts at the beginning. He starts in the book of beginnings. You know, the book of beginnings is Genesis, right? So in Genesis, that's where he starts. It was one commentator who said this, that the examples are set in historical sequence so as to provide an outline of the redemptive purpose of God advancing through the age of promise until at last in Jesus, faith's pioneer and perfecter, The age of fulfillment is inaugurated. So that's what it's about. It's that these examples are given from, listen, God's been working right from the beginning. Not only did he create the world, created man, but he's been working with them all along, teaching them, giving him his word, communicating with them, right up until today. And so 
these examples that he gives are something in which we can look at and say, you know what, I want to be like that. As a matter of fact, that's the way I should be. That's the only way to be. That's really what faith is. And so we wrestle down the meaning and essence of faith, and we find that that's not enough. So let's see some examples of what it means to have faith and live by faith. And we come to verse 4, chapter 11, and I want to look at two examples this morning. I was going to do, to do three, but ran out of time. So I want to look at two, and the first one is Abel. Abel, what do we learn from Abel? Well, before I look at the passage and letting you know that this passage comes from Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 to 5, and if you'd like, you put your hand in Genesis and your hand in Hebrews as I possibly go back and forth, that Abel is really living, living by faith is simply this. Believing God, living by faith is the same thing. So living by faith is first worshiping God. I have always said that we are saved to worship, right? So Abel is the first example, and this example is the example of a faith that worships God, but it, he worships God in an acceptable manner, not in a self-styled manner, not in a manner which you think is acceptable to you or reasonable to you, no, but in a manner that is pleasing and acceptable to God. So in Genesis 3, or chapter 4, verse 3 to 5, it says, So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground, and Abel... On his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Now Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 says this. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice then Cain. So, one of the first things he identifies is that by faith he brought a better sacrifice. Now, what made Abel's sacrifice to God more in the sense of superior than that of Cain's? Some may have answered that question in this way. Abel gave a blood offering because blood always stood for life. So Abel gave to God the most precious of possessions, and that's life itself. Therefore, Abel's sacrifice was more acceptable before God because it was a living creature. Well, that may be included. But the core emphasis in Hebrews, which is different somewhat, a little bit, than Genesis, is the core issues emphasized in Hebrews, is that both men had been told what God demanded for a sacrifice, but only Abel accepted that on faith. God demanded a sacrifice of shed blood, the blood of an innocent lamb. So what, is, what, what set them apart, what the main focus of our passage is not sacrifice, but here in Hebrews, it's Abel's faith and Cain's lack of faith. That's the emphasis. So Abel had faith that God would keep his word if he obeyed with the correct sacrifice. Cain, however, chose to place his faith in his own efforts, in his own schemes, in his own way to worship God, apart from what God required, and so he simply went his own way. Now, it looks reasonable to the world to say, hey, Cain just had a different way of looking at life. He just had a different way of, of doing things. He was just a different kind of person. And so he took his own path and decided to um, worship God in his own way. Wouldn't that just be the same as what Abel did? No. And the reason why is because Abel heard the word of God and Abel believed the word of God first. It always starts there. And then he did the word of God. And then what happens is that 
He gained God's approval because of that. Now look at verse number 4. It says, also by faith he was approved as righteous. It says, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts. So even though the Old Testament never specifically mentions Abel's faith, there is an enduring connection between divine approval and faith. See, God doesn't just look at our gifts, but what is behind them, what is in the heart. He looks for our confidence and our conviction to trust Him, even when we don't have the answers, even when we don't know what the result will be necessarily in all its details. We just know that we can trust what God says. So, see, a person of faith has worked to back up their faith. So Abel trusted God first, before he ever did anything. And many times that's what it is when we come to Christ in conversion. We don't know everything about the cross and what happened at the cross and all what God did from Genesis to then when we believe. We just believe this is the message that saves the soul. And then when we step out in faith, of course, the Lord giving us that faith opening up our eyes to see, then what happens? We learn everything else, and the rest of our life, we're we're unpacking what God did on the cross. In fact, when we get to heaven, we're going to learn much more about what God did on the cross. We're about a bit limited here in this world. So Abel trusted before anything ever happened. And Abel's sacrifice, his gifts were marked evidence of his faith, And according to Genesis 4-7, Abel did well, the scriptures tell us. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desires is for you, but you must master it. So you see, Abel did that which was well, did that which was right in the sight of God. And so, again, it's the... It's the Apostle John who brings it up again in in 1 John where he says, not as Cain who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So faith has evidence and evidence proves someone has been made right with God by obeying the Lord and trusting His Word. So being righteous is really predicated on the one who has responded to God in faith. Faith proceeds and produces the fruit of faith. So Abel was declared right by God and had the evidence to prove it. You say you're a Christian, let me see. Let me see your evidence. What has God done in your life? Where's the difference in your life? Where's the desires in your heart going? All those things are included when we think about our relationship with God. There's another thing, though, concerning Abel in verse number 4 of Hebrews 11, and I think this is an amazing point that our author brings up, that through the example of his faith, he still speaks. Look what it says in verse 4. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. That means through, though very dead for a very long time, we see that the power and duration of a faithful example transcends time. His voice speaks to us through Scripture of the the only acceptable way to worship God. That's where it starts. That's why it starts with Him. And what's that acceptable way? It's God's way and no other way. And how do we come? We come by that sacrifice of blood, right? Can't come to God without a sacrifice. Our sacrifice is Jesus Christ. If you can't come to God without Jesus Christ, you just can't do it. It will never happen. That's God's acceptable approach to him. See, worship that is directed to God, not worship done to make people feel good. Rather, worship that pleases God. Worship that... God will approve. That's 
what faith is all about. Lord, how do you want me to worship you? And let me do it your way. See, we give up our way by faith, right? So we can do it God's way. So being fruitful to God is a powerful testimony. Matter of fact, it may be the most powerful thing you can pass on to your kids, to your family, to your, to your friends, that no one can argue with that person lived for God. And even when they die, they're talking about how he lived for God. If they can put on your tombstone, you lived by faith, what a testimony that would be. Because if you live by faith, you have a lot of evidence to show people that you believed God. And you believed it against the trends of the world. You believed it against your, even your own education in college, where all your professors told you there was no God and all the stuff that goes with, with that. And you went against it. And you said, no, this is the truth. This is who I'm go- what I'm going to believe. This is who I'm going to serve. So Abel's voice urges us to like faith. So our examples can resonate in life and beyond the grave. Right? That's what I want. Examples of faith. Nothing like reading biographies and sometimes autobiographies of people who were just faithful through God and usually through very unusual and difficult circumstances and they came out the other end and they were shining brightly. And people still writing about them and talking about them. Why? They lived by faith. Why? Because God did something in them. They were really regenerate. They were really born again. They really wanted to obey God. They desired to do that and did it. And fruit came out of their life. See, that's one thing I, I think as a parent. We can fail many times as a parent, and we could hope that this happens with our kids or that happens with our kids, but the greatest thing you can do is just be faithful to God, to live for the Lord. They can't argue with that. They may be able to condemn you with that, and that's a good thing to be condemned by. I tell you one thing about my mom. I tell you one thing about my dad. They loved God and they were faithful to God. That's what, that was Abel's testimony. That even though he's dead, he still speaks. So when you die, maybe you'll still speak also. By the very faith you had in God. That's powerful. That's powerful. You know? Dying as a drunkard? Dying as a drug abuser? As just a plain old sinner? Dying... You made a lot of money, you you made it in the business world, you got everything you want, dying for those reasons, what is that? That's nothing. Dying for Christ, dying in faith, that's something. That is something. Because you just simply says, against everything, I believe God. And God worked in you and he produced something in you that you couldn't do yourself. So that is the example of Abel, and I'll leave that right there. Let's take up verse number 5. And that's Enoch. And I believe that there's a progression here that Enoch is someone where living by faith is walking with God in a pleasing manner. So Abel is someone who, living by faith, is worshiping God in an acceptable manner. And so living by faith for Enoch is walking with God in a pleasing manner. And so look at verse 5. It says, by Faith, Enoch, was taken up so that he would not see death and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, here's this last phrase I want you to look at. He was, what? Pleasing to God. He was pleasing to God. And so there are several things in this that pleasing to God includes... Close intimacy and fellowship. Close intimacy and fellowship. Now again, take your uh, Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 5 and look at verse 21 and 24. This is where the Old Testament narrative picks up Enoch. And notice what he says here, that in other words, it's, it's going to be talking about this, that 
Pleasing God includes close intimacy and fellowship, and he describes it in this way. Faith is described as walking with God. In verse number 21 of Genesis 5, then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. Then verse number 24, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So in the Old Testament, the point about his life, the metaphor walk suggests actions. It suggests biblical faith is not a dormant thing. To walk with God, as suggested by R. Kent Hughes, means there must be mutual agreement between those who walk together. It was like the prophet Amos who suggested Do two walk together unless they agree to, unless they agree to meet? That any two people who come together and are going to walk with each other have to come to some kind of agreement. Or what are they going to be doing? They're going to be fighting and quarreling with each other, going in opposite directions. And of course, agreement may include at least three things, that you must agree on destination. Are we going to the same place? If we're going to walk together, we've got to be heading in the right direction, right? Secondly, it, it, it could be it, we must agree on the same path. If we're going to be walking together, then we must be not only heading in the same direction, but on the same road. If not, there's going to be great difficulty that takes place. And then also, if we're going to walk together, we must walk at the same pace that you're not running ahead of each other or lagging behind, you're keeping up with each other. So you're staying in step, in other words, with each other. So to walk with God means that there's a mutual agreement that I am going to stay in step with God. Enoch, being translated to heaven, didn't skip a step with God. The next step he took, he was in heaven. Second thing is that pleasing God includes faith that is steadfast, consistent, and forward looking. Again, in Genesis chapter 5, verse 22, remember, look what it says there that Enoch walked with God 300 years. We don't even, we don't even make it to 100, most of us, right? So if Enoch walked with God for 300 years, in fact, he lived. 365 years on this earth. He was, remember, this is before the flood, before the worldwide flood, so people were still living very long. In fact, his son, Methuselah, is going to be one of the longest livers ever uh, that lived on this earth. And so the point is that 365 years of righteous living, even in the midst of terrible times of evil. In fact, He lived before the great white flood. And if you remember what is recorded about the wickedness upon the earth before the flood, then that's when he lived. And what does it say there? Genesis 6, verse 11 through 13. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. So he lived right prior to the flood in the most wickedest of times. On this earth, there was nowhere to go. So you know what that means to us. It means that even in the wickedest of times and places, it is possible to live with an enduring faith that pleases God. So really, what's going on around you has nothing to do with it. Where you live has nothing to do with it. The sin that is blasted on our TV sets and our, the media and we're bombarded with every day has nothing to do with, unless you let it. Living by faith. If he can do it, then, of course, 
we ought to do it because this is an example for us to follow. Just as it's an example for us to follow Abel, it's an example for us to follow Enoch. So what is, what is the necessary condition for us to live an enduring faith? Well, the necessary condition for pleasing God and walking intimately with Him is faith itself. Without it, well, it's clearly impossible to please God. In Hebrews 11, verse number 6, that's what it says there. Notice what it says if we take a closer look at it. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And be sure of this, that God cannot be pleased unless a righteousness that comes from God through faith is first there. For Philippians tells us, and may be found in him not having a righteousness of of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. See, we must be justified by faith before God before we can live by faith in God. That must be prior to it. So somebody who's not a believer can't even do these things. In Scripture, they cannot live by faith like this unless the Spirit of God indwells them, unless they are made righteous by God. That's why it tells us in Scripture that it was, of course, Enoch and uh, Abel himself that were justified by God. So to support what the author means concerning faith, three necessary things really are included before we can ever begin to live practically day by day by this God in a way that pleases them. And what's the first thing? Well, look at, look at verse number 6. Uh, in the middle of the verse, you must approach and believe God. Look at what it t- says to us there. It says, For he who comes to God must believe he is. But notice... First of all, he who comes to God. It's the person's approach and the necessary condition that must be in place in order to please God. The phrase is, he who comes to God. Here it really means to draw near to God in order to do something. It's in order to seek His grace and His favor. So there's a clear reason why the person is coming. There's a clear reason why the person is drawing near to God. And what is it? He's approaching God believing. If you notice, for he who comes must believe. He must believe. And that becomes, of course, the necessary condition, not only to be saved, but to actually live by faith. That Hebrews already said a lot about the proper way to approach God. In chapter 10 of Hebrews, and verse 21, it says, And since we have this great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having hearts, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So see, you must... Approach God in a manner that is pleasing to him. That's the picture we get with Abel. And then now we must believe God. And then there's several things we must believe about God. And that's in verse number 6, 2 of Hebrews 11. You must believe in the existence of God. He who comes to God must believe that he is. He exists. He has personality. He is a person. In fact, the Greek term here is the word in the root form is amy. And amy means I am. It's, it just means that God is. All right. When, again, when Moses said, who shall I tell Pharaoh? What's your name? And, of course, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he says, thus shall You say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so that's who God is. 
He has being. He has personality. He's real, in other words. And we don't possess being because of ourselves. We possess being because God himself is the great I am. Remember in Acts when Paul was talking to the philosophical pagans who were interested in the topic of being. He said to them, for in him we live and move and exist. Even as some of your own poets says, for we are also, we also are his children. Something must possess the power of being itself before anyone can have being. So we get our being. We get our personality. Of course, being created in the image of God, we get everything we are from who God is. That God is the self-sufficient creator who has the power to create and give being to humans. Does not the Bible teach in the book of Genesis that God created man in his image, making human beings unique among all the other created things. In fact, in our study that we're going through in our home groups, God spoke everything into existence except man. Man, he got his hands dirty, remember, and formed him from the, the ground. See, God made man very personal. And God in there made that connection with man right from the beginning. So we see that the true creator God called us into being, made us, preserves us, keeps us, and treats us as his offspring. So in the word of God, if we're going to come and believe that he is, well, then we believe that he's one, as he's proclaimed himself, that there was never a time that God did not exist. He did not have a beginning. He was not created. He has always been alive. He has always been and will always be the same. There never will be a time when God does not exist. He will never die. He cannot die. That's how God shows himself in Scripture. That's who he is. So when I come to him, I must believe he is. But I also must believe that he is the founder and the maker of the world. The God who made the world and all things in it. All over Scripture it says that. It says it in almost every book of the Bible that God is the creator. That nothing came into being without being created by him. And that the universe is ruled by God himself. It says for since he is Lord of heaven and earth. And that the God is the originator and giver of all life. Since he himself, it says in Acts 17, gives to all people life and breath and all things. He is the one who made his will known to the fathers through the prophets. He is the one who has spoken in these last days in his son. The whole book of Hebrews is about. See, he is. We must believe He is. He has being. He has personality. And therefore, we are responsible to this God. All humanity is. So as a result of His nature, God is greater than the universe itself and therefore cannot be contained or controlled by men in any way, shape, or form. To do so would be to worship in a self-styled manner, which is called in Scripture, idolatry. So that's what we do. We come to God, we approach Him in the right manner, and we believe that He is. Doesn't it say in several places in the Bible, the fool has said in his heart, what? There's no God. See, when somebody somebody says there's no God, you know what? The Bible talks about you. It says that you're a fool if you think that way. It's true. It's true. Anyone who says there is no God, no creator, that there's no design to this universe, uh, is totally blind and dead. Can't see. They have their head in the sand, right? And so, therefore, for us who believe, we could never even engage long in conversation or debate on whether 
God exists in the sense that we maybe are doubting that. No way. Not somebody of faith. Faith already believes that, holds to it, embraces that, lives by that, and knows that God is real, and they will see God in a way they have not seen God before when they're with him. That's why Moses, what did he desire? Lord, let me see your glory. And God showed him a little bit, but he couldn't show him everything because it it would have killed Moses. Someday with resurrected bodies in the presence of God, we'll enjoy God in his fullness. We will see Christ as he is. That's what it's about. That's what faith, I embrace that by faith. I know God exists. I'm looking forward to seeing him. But there's another thing in in verse number 6 that is important that you must believe, I'm calling it this, the personal generosity of God. Look what he says in verse number 6. He says that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. Let me just look at the phrase, those who seek him first. Because it's a very interesting phrase. It's a phrase that you have to look at in the original language because there is certain words used there that they're not used in this form in many other places. And it's called the dative with verbs. And it has the idea of a personal interest of such, such as pleasing and worshiping God. So this person seeking is seeking. He knows who he's seeking. This is not a blind seeking. That's, this is not a wondering if you find. In fact, the very word means to seek the favor of God and find it. That's the point. That so someone who already believes God exists, they know who they're seeking. They know that they are on the quest of faith that is always successful. In other words, Enoch came to God regularly, daily believing he was alive, he was God, he had personality, he spoke with him, he walked with him, he stayed in step with the Lord all through the 365 years that he was on the earth. But he also found something else about God. He found God responded positively and abundantly to those who seek Him. And who are the real true seekers? Real believers. Isn't that what we're doing when we walk by faith? We're seeking God. When we hear His Word, what are we doing? We're seeking God. We want to know more about Him. Where Paul says, I want to know more about You, Lord, right? The fellowship of Your sufferings, the power of Your resurrection. I want to know... I'm not satisfied with what I know about you because I, the grandness of what the Bible says about you is mind-boggling. So he found that God responds positively and abundantly to those who sought him. That God is a rewarder. In other words, God became to him a rewarder to the ones who approach the Lord reverently with a desire in their heart to know. And this word rewarder means that God pays the wages. He rewards the one who seeks him in a proper manner. So by God's reward, he means that the faith of man reaching out to God is never left to itself, but is met by real satisfaction. Could you imagine someone going out and seeking for something and never finding? You can't get satisfaction like that. That's frustrating. Here it's saying, if you seek, you will find. If you seek, you will be satisfied when you find it. Because when you find Him, and when you gain more knowledge of Him by faith, then it will satisfy your soul like nothing else can satisfy your soul. So here the bottom line is, you can't really know that he is a rewarder of those who seek him unless you already rely on him as the only true and living and almighty God that you already trust that he will fulfill all his promises 
and give you the internal inheritance and full salvation that He has promised in Christ Jesus. And then you will find, you will find Him the source of your deepest satisfaction. That's what you'll do. So, what do we understand from Enoch's example of faith? Well, that real believers desire God. They desire Him as their companion. That they seek to please Him wherever they go and whatever they do. And what did Enoch get for such desire? The answer is right in verse 5. This is what he gets. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him. For he obtained the witness that before being taken up, he was pleasing to God. So what was his reward? Seeing God. Spending eternity with him was his reward. That is our reward. So if you don't really know God exists, if you don't really desire God now, why would you want to go to heaven and spend eternity with him? See, that's what the Spirit of God is doing in our hearts. We're laying off the old stuff that's dragging us down for what? For the reward. That nothing becomes so precious in this life that you don't want to leave it to be with the Lord. What did God tell Abraham in Genesis 15? Listen to what it says in the, in the the New King James. He says this, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, chapter 15, verse 1. Do not fear, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. Isn't that our promise? That God will bring us where He is? To fellowship with Him? To be with Him forever? In the new covenant, I will be your God, you will be my people? In Revelation, the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem comes down, right? That's the picture given in Revelation to earth. Why? No more separation between God and man. God and man together dwelling together with each other in fellowship and desiring it and enjoying it. But that desire and enjoyment must start now. If it's not there, then you're not even a Christian. You're not even a believer. If you don't desire God, you desire everything else, you're not a believer. Get that right. Get that down. Get that, become, make that clear in your mind. That that's what the Spirit of God's doing in your heart. He's making you like Christ. He's giving you desire to want to be with Him, to want to serve Him, to approach Him in the right manner. And what? To walk with Him every day of your life. You know what? And I don't think anybody could step up to Enoch and say, listen, I got something on you. Because we only live, what, maybe 60, 70, 80, maybe 100 years. Uh, he's, He's got it. He's got it. That's why God took him. But it's, it's, it's the picture. God's not going to leave us alone. Right? He's going to come and get us. And where he is, we will be there with him also. That's what he told his disciples when he left. It's the same for us. That's the promise we have. God is our reward. Amen? So remember, that biblical faith learns how to please God. It's not by acting in a self-styled manner, or living like the world, that's not it at all. It's, it's knowing what pleases God, what he, what he requires, and doing it, and desiring to doing, do it to please Him. So the person of this kind of faith is strong and practices not to waver in their trust in God, in His plans, and in His purposes for, his, for them and for Redemption for the, for the salvation of all men. So Abel approaching God in, accept, in an acceptable manner through Christ, and of course Enoch walking 
fellowshipping with a real personal God in a pleasing manner, hoping to spend his, the whole of his eternity with God himself. And that is where faith brings you. That's what it is to at least begin to venture in walking by faith. So today examine yourself. Where are you? Ask yourself, what kind of desires do I have for life? What's really important? Am I going to leave a legacy of faith for my family, for my neighbors, for my children? Is that what I really desire? Do I really want to walk with God every day I wake up? Ask yourself those questions because those are the kind of things that show you have faith. Those are the evidences. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning again for the awesomeness of your word. And I pray, Lord, that today may be the day that if someone doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, they would come and believe. They would believe that you are who you say you are and that they would approach you in the right manner by faith in Christ Jesus. And I pray, Lord, those who do know you, Lord, I pray that their faith would become stronger because of your word, that they would examine themselves as to what needs to be put out of their life so they can continue to walk by faith, so they continue on the same path with you and on the same road with you, at the same pace with you. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us a desire to want the reward. And I pray, Lord, that that hunger for you and that thirst for you would grow every day. We praise you, Lord, for what you'll do in these days in our life. Let Let every one of us, Lord, be a legacy of faith to those who watch us. Protect us, Lord, from falls. Protect us, Lord, from the sin that so easily besets us. And Lord, rescue us, please, by the power of your spirit and the sanctifying power of your word. And I pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.